You're listening to a message from Pastor Kenny Garrett recorded at a live service at the General Baptist Church God's House of Prayer located in Fairborn, Ohio. Acts chapter 11, verse 19 says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed, and turned unto the Lord. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church, which was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth uh, Barnabas, and that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord, for he was a good man and full of the Holy Ghost and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Will you bow your heads with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the day that you've given us, for the chance you've given us to assemble. I pray, Lord, that you anoint me to preach a message you've given, anoint ears to hear, hearts to understand. Draw us each closer to one another as you draw us closer to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So this morning, we'll look into uh, the first people being called Christians in Antioch, the first church that's identified uh, by that word. So what does it mean to be um, great in today's society, in today's uh, world? The definition in the dictionary is markedly superior in character, quality, or skill. Now We've been, I'm sure, if you've uh, been around, you've been in great churches and you've been in some that are not so great. The Bible talks uh, about the least among us is the one who is great and whoever humbles himself like a child, uh, that is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And the mother of James and John came to ask the favor of Christ uh, where her sons would sit on his left and his right. In the book of Matthew, Chapter 20, verse 25, it says, But Jesus called unto them, unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Christ teaches us that those that are great amongst us must be humble uh, and serve their fellow uh, human beings. Uh, Winston Churchill said the price of greatness is responsibility. And as we turn on the news and look 
into our country and into our neighborhoods. That word responsibility is a dirty, filthy word. Responsibility is literally to answer for one's acts or deeds, the ability to fill one's obligations, uh, the accountability of a person. So what Christ is saying about greatness is that true greatness is dependent on our desire and our willingness to serve one another. Are we willing to take the responsibility to be the body of Christ in the midst of a lost and dying world? Are we dedicated to serving the needs of others? Are we dedicated to serving our own personal uh, pursuits and desires and pleasures? By Christ's definition and example, greatness is putting aside what makes us feel comfortable and what we wish to do so that we can provide what's necessary to reach a lost and a dying world. This church uh, in Antioch, where they're first called Christians, uh, you can see in that wording that used, and it says, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. It wasn't a term uh, that the disciples placed on themselves. They didn't organize a committee and say, we'll be called Christians here in Antioch. It wasn't something that they wore um, by their own design. And if you look into Antioch as a city, it's the third most influential town in the Roman Empire. There was chariot racing and gambling, and some historians have even suggested uh, that Rome became corrupt and beyond control because of the influence that Antioch had on the empire. But the evidence of God's grace was in the changed lives of those in the church at Antioch. People in the city were able to look at them and know that something about them was different. They were doing something different. Uh, those that used to steal stole no more. And those that lied, used to lie, told lies no more. They had been changed. The only way to be good by biblical de definition is through the blood of Christ. I've maintained always that it's impossible for us to change ourselves truly. You and I do not have the power or the capability to, to change our lives and to change our character. But the blood of Christ, well, the work that was done on Calvary is enough to make us new. It is enough to provide that change. It is enough for us to be born again. A church that's not different and not identifiable from the world will make no impact on the world. People have to see a difference in our lives. They have to see a difference in our speech and the attitude of the individual members of each and every church and able to be identified as different. A church is not influential because the number of its members, the size of its building, or the balance of its budget. A church is influential because of the character of the people that are there. It's influential because of the blood of Christ that changes lives and that we're made new and born again in a Savior and in a God, that we have a future and a hope that's in Christ. And that's what makes a church influential. 
Antioch was the place where the followers of Christ were called by the divinely given name of Christian. I'm certain that those that were in the church in Antioch were eager to learn what they needed to do. And you can find that in verse 25 and 26. It says, Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Paul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught uh, much people. You see that um, the biblical definition of a disciple is someone uh, that pledged him or herself to be a student. Now, a church cannot be a great church unless its individual members are dedicated to learning what the Word of God says. Individual members can't learn without being faithful to the process of learning. Individual members won't learn unless the leadership of the church is committed to the task of learning. Now, learning and growing sometimes uh, is uncomfortable, and God can uh, take us to places. You know, learning uh, involves knowing something that you didn't know before. And learning something uh, or hearing something that you possibly have never heard before and understanding why. And always looking towards the word of God for understanding and guidance. uh, Because that is where it begins. In verse 27 it says, And in those days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch, and there stood up one of them named Agagabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. They sought God's will uh, by placing Uh, a priority on their worship. Uh, They were aware that people mattered to God so that they also mattered to them. That's a a line that I've stolen from the Way of the Cross, uh, Brother Bill Laudermilk and his church, and I've always been impressed by that hanging in their lobby, that people matter to them because people matter to God. Uh, it's, it marks them as different than those around them. It should mark you and I as different to those around us, that we aren't uh, all wrapped up in ourselves, that we are uh, worried and concerned and loving to our neighbors, to our community, to those other Christians that are in the household of faith, that we look after their well-being, uh, that our sights are not turned inward and on ourselves. In Acts chapter 13, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about worship. Verse 2 and 3 says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. See, they were focused on what the will of God was. Oftentimes, we as Christians gather together, and we form plans, and we make 
ideas of what we wish to do, and we ask the Lord to bless them. But we need to stop a minute, pray for a minute, and find out where the Lord wants us to go, what the Lord wants us to do, where the Lord is leading us to work and to labor. So they sought God's will by placing a priority on their worship. And now this, I'm not talking about a ritual type religion. There is a very large difference between going to church and being the church. Regular attendance does not mean true worship. True worship is the acknowledgement of how great God is and the acknowledgement that we are nothing without him and the implementation of God's word into everyday life. That we know, we've learned what the Bible talks about. We've learned what the word of God teaches. And we implement that into our daily lives, into our comings and goings, our business dealings, our work life, our home life. Uh, we are living out uh, what the Bible teaches. True worship doesn't mean that we give God what we think he ought to have. True worship has to involve finding out what God would like, then submissively, adoringly, lovingly, and willingly offering it to him. Amen. Whether that be time, money, abilities, attention, whatever it is, we need to seek the Lord's leading in what we do. They sought God's will through fasting and prayer. I'm not a really good teacher on fasting. In fact, I do. Uh, we're currently engaged in quite the opposite thing here uh, on Vine Street. Uh, but in the last half of 2020, if there's ever a time to learn about fasting and prayer, I think it's now. So we'll get a little bit more into fasting uh, next week. But I will admit to you that it is a, an extreme weakness of mine, right? But the disciples sought God's will through fasting and prayer. It's clearly advocated and practiced in the Old Testament. Christ practiced regular fasting. Uh, the early church practiced it before making decisions on leadership. And fasting in the New Testament is always, always, always accompanied by prayer. It's not a single solitary act. Fasting and prayer were synonymous because they were how uh, we sought the will of God. It's a practice of laying aside comfort and their own desires to seek the will of God. I read about a missionary in Africa that once was asked if he liked what he was doing, and his response was a little shocking. He said, do I like this work? Absolutely not. Uh, my wife does not like it. We don't like the dirt. We have refined sensibilities. We like comfort. Uh, we don't like crawling through huts and through goat excrement and going through the jungle and the bug bites and the this and the that. He said, but are we not to do anything for Christ that we do not like? He said, God pity a man um, if he doesn't do what Christ would have him to do, whether he likes it or he doesn't. So that worship and that fasting and prayer will help us uh, to discern what the will of God is, to learn where he's leading us. Worship brings us into God's presence. Now, don't be confused. God is always with us, and his spirit dwells in us. Uh, but it's through worship that we seek to enter 
uh, his dwelling place. The Bible talks about entering his gates with praise and giving thanks to him. And this prayer and worship and fasting, prayer seeks more uh, than divine presence. It seeks divine guidance and strength. We are strengthened through prayer. Uh, We are encouraged through prayer. Prayer is how God involves us in what he's doing. In Acts chapter 13, if you look back at uh, verse 2 and 3, um, the last part of verse 3, it says, when he had, And when they had fasted and prayed and had laid their hands on them, they sent them away. This is the practice of the Great Commission. They sent them away. You and I sometimes need to be sent away into the community, into our workplaces, into our homes, uh, sharing and carrying the gospel message with us to a people that's lost and dying. Paul Powell once said, many churches today remind me of a laboring crew trying to gather in a harvest whilst they sit in the tool shed. They go to the tool shed every Sunday and they study bigger and better methods of agriculture They sharpen their hoes, they grease their tractors, and then they get up and they go home. Then they come back that night, they study bigger and better methods of agriculture, they sharpen their hoes, they grease their tractors, and then they go home again. They come back Wednesday night and again study bigger and better methods of agriculture, sharpen their hoes, grease their tractors, and get up and go home. They do this week in and week out, year in and year out, And no one ever ventures out into the fields to do any farming. No one ever ventures out into the fields to do any farming. So what was it that Barnabas and Saul were called to do? This is the very first part of their great missionary journey. It carried the gospel to places that it had not been before. And this missionary journey was the beginning of the fulfillment of where the Bible talks about the ends of the earth. It's where it started. It's where uh, our work started was on this missionary journey. And it's continued until this day. And it's all brought about because the church at Antioch was faithful to the Great Commission. Their strong evangelistic effort was because they both preached and practiced Christ crucified. They were committed to the work. Uh, They were committed to their work to the grace of God. They worked like it all depended on them and prayed like it all depended on God and were wise enough to know that the final result is in God's hands. They were in a place uh, where weary Christians could recharge their batteries together, where they could come together and be the people of God and the family of God, where they could lean on one another for strength and for encouragement. God has designed us to live in this community and to live together and worship him together. There was a story I read also about a gentleman who interviewed at the First Baptist Church in Houston. He said he went in, it was dimly lit. 
the songs were kind of like funeral songs. They were slow and kind of uh, following along and were not upbeat and cheery. Uh, nobody was there. Everybody had a long face that was there. Nobody was really happy that was gathered at that church that morning. And he left, after the service, he left the church building and went around Houston to get a better feel for the city. At which point, he stopped in a jewelry store that was having a grand opening. There were balloons and signs. The music was upbeat and cheery. They offered him refreshments. And he says in his book that had the jewelry store given an invitation, he would have joined the jewelry store before he ever joined the church he was at. And there's something to be learned from that. There's something that we can glean from that observation. That we serve a God that knows more than our name and our worries and our concerns and our fears. He's capable of taking care of all of those things. That we can come in and we can be cheerful and we can be a people that's different because we know who holds tomorrow. The church at Antioch stood against false teaching and later in Acts, um, you see them stand up against the teaching of circumcision being required for New Testament believers. Um, So they were gathered together and the leaders of the church were uh, presenting the gospel as it was given to them, Christ and him crucified, without anything added to it, without anything extra. Uh, the issue then was circumcision, but it's changed throughout the years. Nobody really talks about that anymore. Uh, we talk about uh, music style, hairstyles, pink shirts, things of that nature. We get all bound up in those things that uh, don't matter. And the church in Antioch was focused on what mattered. The church, of course, we know isn't a building. It isn't a preacher. It isn't a certain way of doing things. The church is made up of people who love Christ and love one another. A church is made up of people who love Christ and love one another and influence those around them. In their community, they uh, influence in such a way that a divinely given and a divinely na ordered name uh, was imparted to the disciples of Christ in this particular city at this particular time. And that name is Christian. It designates that someone belongs to Christ. Uh, historians believe uh, that they originally was meant in a derogatory or a demeaning uh, way. Uh, there's some issues in the Greek, and uh, Brother Mark and Diane can probably tell you all about that. But they assume and believe that it was, it was first used in a derogatory fashion. But it was something that suited the church in Antioch really well. It was a, a moniker that they wore proudly. Uh, that they were emulating uh, their Savior, that they were trying to be as much like him as they could be on this earth. And we today should be pleased to be considered and affiliated with such a wonderful name. The Bible says there is no greater name than Christ. Amen. The Bible also teaches us that there is no other salvation 
other than the, the one offered by calling on the name of Jesus. Stand with me this morning. <clears throat> 